0: Okay, Ephesians 6.13, thirteen will we'll begin Ephesians chapter 6. We've been working our way through Ephesians. I don't know whether this is good or bad. I mean, Tracy's, uh, we didn't even know it till it was about a month or so ago that I found out he'd been preaching through Ephesians too, uh, or as well <laughs> He got Ephesians 2, and he's in 3 and 4 and 5 now. He's in chapter 5, but he's taking well, he's already been over a year, and he's only in chapter 5. So I really feel pretty good. I'm not going that slow. I didn't want to weary weary you that much. But I'm going to tell you something. Ephesians is the kind of book that you could really spend some time in. And I have truly, truly enjoyed this study. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have already talked about, and excuse me, I don't know where this frog came from this morning, but it just developed about an hour ago, and I can't get rid of it. Um, About putting on the armor of God. We've seen Paul talk about um, what we are and what we have in Christ, that we are recipients of his grace his mercy, and his love, and just as he has raised Jesus from the dead, so he has raised us, and just as he has raised Jesus from the dead and made him sit in the heavenlies at the right hand of God the Father, so he says he has made us to sit together with him in the heavenlies. Now, that tells us something about our wealth, our high position, our royal uh, place, position that we have with Christ in the heavenlies. It is there, ours as a present possession. But presently, while we are here on earth, We must walk, and Paul uses that term in an advised way as a peculiar way in which believers, Christians, are to walk. We are to walk in a manner that is uh, reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ, that is holy and godly, that is characterized by righteousness and in this passage, and well, and actually in, in 5 and 6, <clears throat> we saw several of the kinds of things, specific things that Paul has mentioned regarding righteousness, like putting off lying and telling the truth. That's a, that's a pretty basic one. may not be easy for some people. And all of us, all of us, have to deal with it, because we all have an erring heart that's deceitful. We may not always find it easy to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But that's one of the things that Paul says we are to put on as our first piece of armor. So he tells us in verse 13 of Ephesians 6, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now that in, th- this verse is like an introductory verse because it, it, uh, it encompasses the whole of the Christian life. He says we are to put on the whole armor of God, The Greek word is panoplia, and we would say the panoply. It's our English word. Panoply means uh, military array or your military accoutrements. It's all the gear. So when you would see, say, a soldier, and he's all dressed up in his gear for battle, And he's got all this stuff all, you know, nowadays they got all this kinds of stuff around him. He has a panoply on. He's all fit and geared up for the battle. And that's what Paul is telling us here. We are to get our gear on, get uh, all our things together so that we can be prepared for entering the battle that's ours in this present evil day. He describes for us in metaphor several things that characterize our Christian armor and why they're necessary to carry into battle. And I know sometimes we wonder if we'll ever get out of the battle. And sometimes, I'm afraid, we wonder How come I'm not in the battle? How come I don't seem to have to fight anything? What is it about my life that I'm not fighting any battles like this? This spiritual warfare that Paul talks about in verse 12. Our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other men, but against principalities, against, he says, powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, that is, this present age in which we live. That's who our battle's against. It's a spiritual battle. And it's ours to realize that this spiritual battle and this war that's going on with the present world is because it has nothing to do with the age of the Lord's kingdom rule over this earth. They're in conflict with each other. They have nothing to do with each other. That's why we get excited to think about the Lord's return because we know that this day and age is gonna come to an end and a new age is gonna dawn upon the earth, a new age in which there will be a characterization of peace, And righteousness. Of course, that's just two of the things that will occur. Every enemy of God will be removed. And resurrected Christians will be able to enjoy the blessings of living before the Lord and before the Lord Jesus Christ in total peace. And they won't have to worry about this armor anymore. They can take it off. You'll have a thousand years of peace. Of course, we know at the end of the thousand years, there will be a very short skirmish in which the Lord Jesus Christ himself will put down Satan and his rebellious foes, uh, compatriots that are foes against the Lord. But a thousand years of peace. And you don't have to worry about carrying a weapon. You don't have to worry about putting on a breastplate or shoes that are made for warfare, as we're going to find out here in this passage. So the warfare is a very real one. It's a warfare so that we might overcome the enemy and so that in that day, when the Lord Jesus comes, he says, you might be able to stand. Now, of course, there's another sense here in which we're to stand. Matter of fact, he mentions it three times about, excuse me, about standing. In verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickeries, the strategies of the devil. And then, down in verse 13, he says, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore. So we are to withstand. That's the present activity of a Christian's life today, to withstand. But having done all, he says, then you're to stand. So in the end, when it's all over, we will be still standing. We won't be prone. We will be standing firm in our faith. And that's the goal of our Christian life, isn't it not? to At the end of life, when life is over, to be like those Hebrew saints of Hebrews chapter 11, when it says, these all died in faith. And that's how we want to be. We want to be able to die in faith. If we do that, then we will have stood or we will, we will uh, withstand, as Paul is telling us here. Now, he goes on to mention um, these various components uh, of the armor that the soldier was to put on. Evidently, from the description of the Greek words and and also knowing that Paul was in a Roman prison, he's thinking here of a Roman soldier as he describes this armor. And when he talks about putting on uh, the truth, he says, having your loins girt about with truth. That is putting on a belt, as it were. Some say a girdle. But it would have been more like a, 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 a big belt made of leather. And it was a belt that would keep the, the, the soldier's uh, clothing close at hand. It would fit everything together. And it was made so that the, uh, um, the military gear, the breastplate and the sword and all these things, could be fastened together on the soldier. And he tells us then, we are to be girt about with truth. The very first thing he mentions. Truth, putting on truth in verse 14. And of course, you see, to put uh, this truth about your loins. You know, this made the soldier ready for battle. You had all the loose ends of the garments tucked in and there was nothing to get in the way so that he could enter into the battle freely and not be afraid of getting, you know, his sword or some other piece of equipment hung up on the cloth and, get, you know, that'd be a bad thing to do in the midst of battle, to get it hung up where he couldn't fight. And you get this snag, you know, where you can't, and you've done that. I've done that walking through a doorway, and I get my sleeve caught on it, and I'm going, you know, know, and you can't get loose. You don't want that to happen in the middle of battle. So um, what does the truth then represent in terms of the battle? It has to do with our present character our present integrity, our loyalty and devotion as a military soldier, just like they are devoted to their cause and we've had so vividly illustrated to us this week. So we are to stand just as sure as these men stood at their post. And yes, it means even to the death. Gird about with truth. Now, I do want to say that that little word with, it's our familiar word we've mentioned many times uh, in Greek, that word en. It means in. And it means in the sphere of or in the realm of truth. So our That's why we say that our whole life, when we put on this belt of truth, that means our life is to be characterized as a soldier as one of truthfulness. Truthfulness with our fellow brother, truthfulness within our, our assembly, truthfulness in our dealings with the world, being loyal, faithful, total commitment, to the cause that we have enlisted in when we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. You know, this this really puts a different spin on this whole idea of just, you know, getting saved so I can go to heaven. And we don't realize that there's so much more beyond just going to heaven. And the warfare then becomes a very important part of our Christian life, because there's an enemy. There's an enemy occupying our place in the heavenlies with Christ right now. That's Satan and his cohorts, the rulers, the principalities, the powers that are operating in the heavens right now. God has reserved that for those who walk in faith. For those who are trusting and believing in him for that future resurrection to ultimately reign with him in the heavenlies. And Satan, in Revelation chapter 12, says he will be cast down. He will be removed from his present throne And then, of course, the Lord Jesus will then occupy that throne. And loyal, overcoming believers or those who have successfully endured the warfare in the battle will then get to share in that coming rule with Christ. And so it is important then to know that we begin with truth. We have to operate in the realm or the sphere of truth. There's no other way. Now, he says also in relationship to that, put on the breastplate of righteousness. I should mention here that these first three, at least, are middle voice. Now, you know, anybody that's been here for a while know what middle voice means. It means it's the responsibility of the soldier here to put these things on. God provides the armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God. It's his armor, but it's up to us to put it on. It is up to us to make use of it in the battle. Now, um, What did the breastplate do? Well, on a soldier, it would cover the breast. It covered the vital organs. It was to protect the main part of your body. You know, you have a heart and a liver and all kinds of little goodies going on inside here that we don't really want to talk about too much, at least not out in the open. But it was to protect him. As a matter of fact, we find out a little bit later on, the devil's out there th- hurling flaming arrows at Christians, seeking to overthrow them. So the breastplate then was, part of that was for the protection of the vital organs of the soldier. What does it do for us? Well, the breastplate of righteousness a righteous life. He's not talking about the righteousness here that we get when we receive Christ as our Savior. He's talking righteous living. We're talking about the battle. We're talking about the fight. We're talking about the things that a believer must endure day by day, week by week, in the walk of the Christian life. So he's talking about righteous living in the battle. And righteous living, he was, is telling us, will serve as a protector for the vitality of the Christian's life. And it will s- serve to, along with, I should say, the shield, which we're going to come up on, in deflecting those flaming arrows. which is nothing more than Satan's attempts to distract, to deceive, to lead astray with false doctrine and get us off the path and let us get our eyes on the present world rather than on the world to come. And, of course, it's always a temptation. It's always there. We face it every single day because we're in it. We just have to be thankful that John says we may be in the world, but we're not of the world. And John also said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we have some awesome, great promises regarding the one who empowers us so that we can walk through this life and be successful at it. Now, I wanted to go on and say that, uh, let me see here. Um, he goes on to tell us about our feet being shod with the gospel of peace in verse 15. You know, this, this is an amazing thing because when you talk about this word uh, stand and you think of the feet being shod with the gospel of peace, you know, sometimes I think we get the imagery, you know, here that we are to then go out and, you know, be spreading the gospel and preaching and, you know, and witnessing to people and doing all kinds of things like that. And that is not the image that you have here at all. The The Roman soldiers' uh, feet were shod with heavy-duty leather sandals, maybe not quite like you know, your Red Wing work shoes or your Timberlands or whatever with the nice thick soles. Uh, I've got a pair of those, and I really like them. You know, they I can stand on my hillside and mow my yard, and they don't slip anymore like I used to. They work good. In a Roman soldier's feet, they studded those leather sandals so that he could get a good grip. And the whole idea was when he was in battle, he wouldn't slip. Or well, that was no time, again, you didn't, like, just like you didn't want to snag on something, you didn't want to slip. You didn't want to lose your focus and attention. One of the things that we will look at here in just a minute about the sword, but you need to know about it in this context, is that the sword was, he's talking about here was the short Roman sword. Not, not a big long job like this. It was a short one for close-in battle. And you didn't want to slip in, in the face of the enemy. So they had these studs in the shoes or cleats, as we would call them, just like a golf shoe or a baseball shoe or soccer or something like that. It gave them some sure footing on which to stand. And the whole point here is, is that you don't see language of marching forward Advancing forth with the gospel. You know, you don't see that kind of stuff in this passage. That's not what he's speaking of either. He's talking about standing your ground as a Christian. He's talking about being able to withstand what the devil is throwing at you. And standing firm. And not faltering in the battle. He ha- you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, it's amazing to me, and I suppose to others too, if you think about being in the battle and fighting this spiritual war, and yet you're going to be shod with the gospel of peace. But that's what the war is about. It's about the fact that there will be and is coming a future day of peace when the Lord Jesus comes to institute peace over the earth. And it's going to happen. And the more we see these events in our world today, and boy, it sure has hit close to home here in Chattanooga this week, what peace is going to feel like. How good it's going to be to be at peace. Peace when you go to bed at night. Peace. To leave your windows up and the doors unlocked and not have to worry about a single thing going on in your life we sure can't do that today can we and fear has sure swept over our city when we realize how near we are to such calamities as you know you just don't even know one day you wake up and all these things happen and now five men are dead One certainly deserved to die. Verse 16: above all, or in addition to all these things, he says, taking the shield of faith. Well, again, we're looking at a piece of equipment that would help the soldier in the midst of battle to ward off the flaming arrows of the enemy, to take his stand and be able to stand firm. As Paul says here three times, stand, stand, stand. And it's that idea of being able to be on firm ground and know you're not going to slip in the midst of the battle, that you're not going to falter in the war, that you will genuinely be an overcomer and win, and we all can. The shield of faith, well, it's another metaphor. The metaphor here is a shield that was made out of wood and then covered with uh, thick, heavy leather, and then as the soldiers were getting ready to go into battle, they would soak it in water, and then when those fiery darts and flaming arrows that we talked about last week, which they dipped in pitch or some other kind of material, whatever would burn, and they would light them on fire and shoot them at the soldiers. And that shield then, when it hit, would put the arrow out. It wouldn't just deflect it, but it would actually put the fire out and they wouldn't have to be concerned with it. You know, in a battle like this, You didn't want your shield catching on fire, and you didn't want to have to then turn and run to the rear of the battle and get a pail of water in order to get the thing out. You know why? Because there's no armor for the back. We're to stay forward all the time. There is no armor mentioned to cover our backs. God intends for the saints of Christ to be forward-looking, not backwards. God expects us to stay in the battle, and he doesn't expect us to turn and desert the battle line. I I mentioned to you earlier, I just finished reading this book about Stonewall Jackson and the Civil War, and I didn't really have, I knew about it, but I had no idea how um, pervasive was uh, men who would desert their battle lines during the Civil War. Both sides. I mean, they just get, you know, homesick sometimes. Sometimes they just didn't want to fight. So they just left. They just, you know, picked up their gear or they just left it and went on home. Maybe it was springtime and they wanted to go home and plant the corn. God has no provisions whatsoever. You know, I mentioned about this being middle voice, that it was our believer's responsibility. They're also, all three of these are aorist tense. That means once you pick the armor up and you put it on, it stays on for the duration of the war. There's no time, none whatsoever for us to sit back and take it off and relax and enjoy life. The enjoyment of life and the glories of life are to come in the next age. Not this one. We need to recognize how deep the battle is and what a fight it is to be true and loyal to Christ, and especially in this day. I say especially this day. We like to think of it as being some way a lot worse than it was, you know, three or four hundred years ago. But really for a believer who was living for the Lord and seeking that coming day, it wasn't any different for them 2,000 years ago in Paul's day than it is for us today. It's the same. And it is a battle. So he says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, or the wicked one, literally, which is the devil, quenching his darts, putting them out, rendering them absolutely useless. <clears throat> You know, I'll tell you what, that is one of the key elements in fighting a battle. You know, in our modern technological age, one of the things that makes war so interesting is the development of things that will neutralize the enemy's weaponry. You remember in uh, the Scud missiles? Wasn't that an awesome thing? Somebody shoots a missile at you, you just shoot one up and knocks it out of the sky. Boom. You neutralized them right away. There was no value or no effect upon you. And Israel remained highly protected because of those Scud missiles. Now we have these, these, uh, you know, shooting right out of an airplane, a heat-seeking missile, and it'll just track. It can do evasive maneuvers, and it'll still track boom, knock them right out of the sky. Or it can find a little bunker. It's a little old thing in the ground, but they know the location of that thing, and they can set their sights on it and shoot their weaponry at it, and boom, hit it from thousands of feet up in the sky. What he's talking about here, then, is for you and I, that walking, you know, having our belt of truth on and our breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod with the gospel of peace and then our shield of faith on, when we have all the weaponry on, this defensive gear, we can defeat and overcome every onslaught of Satan against us. And it enables us then to be victorious in the battle. We can fight and win. We can walk and war in such a way that we will come out on the other side as victors. You know why we can? Because Jesus has already come out on the other side as a victor. And he wants us to be victors along with him. Verse 17, then, we take the helmet of salvation. What kind of salvation is he speaking of here? He's writing to Christians. They've already experienced salvation. Why would they need to put the helmet of salvation on? If they're already saved. If they're already believers. If they're already Christians. <clears throat> I think what we have to do here is understand salvation in its big, broad sense. Most of the time, we think of salvation in that very narrow sense, you know, of when a person receives Christ as their Savior, and they're saved. And we tend to read that into all kinds of passages in the Bible when it's, you know, we really shouldn't do that. He's not talking about the beginning of a Christian's life here. He's talking about the sanctifying walk of a Christian's life. He's talking about after they've been saved, they need to put on the helmet of salvation. In other words, they need to, the, to protect their mind. They need to have, well, let me back up and say, you remember we also have mentioned about how It was characteristic of the apostles to teach and disciple their new converts. I don't think the folks at Ephesus were any different. They had been instructed in, in the basics of the whole plan of salvation, beginning to end. Once they had already received the Lord Jesus as their Savior and experienced salvation, They had been exposed to the whole plan of salvation. All that God was doing. His purpose of the ages that we saw back in chapter 3. And what was to come in the age of the ages. The coming age. And so, when he talks about putting on the helmet of salvation, he's talking about putting on a helmet that guards us against false teachings that guards and protects us from things entering into our minds that will lead us astray doctrinally. At least that's the way I see it. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Look over to a familiar verse over in Hebrews chapter 4. I know you know this verse, Hebrews chapter four and verse twelve. I've got some other verses written down while you're getting there. Oh, I see it. Okay. Uh, verse twelve. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, all we want to mention here is the relationship of a sword to the word of God. The word of God. Is sharper than any two-edged sword. So that's the metaphor. That's the picture we have of what the, the sword. It's a picture of God's word. And of course, we know that out of in Revelation, out of God's mouth comes a two-edged sword, His word. And who is called the word? None other than the Lord Jesus Himself. And then I want to to read a verse, if I can get to it quickly, Um, back in Hosea, chapter 6, and verse 5. Of course, the Lord is, uh, Hosea is really, just like all the other prophets, is railing against Israel because of their departure from the Lord. And he says in verse 4, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah... What shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goes away. (laughs) In other words, there just wasn't much to it. Therefore, he says, have I hewed them by the prophets? I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And it's incredible to me that that's all that it takes. Just like when when they came to arrest Jesus and he spoke, and they all fell backwards, there's coming a day when those enemies will not just fall backwards, but they will actually be slain and done away with and removed. And what a glorious and wonderful day that will be for those who have been obedient to our Lord Jesus Christ and walked according to this spiritual warfare of which Paul is directing us here in chapter 6 of Ephesians. So, The helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, An interesting thing also in verse 17, where we see the word take, it it carries the idea of receive. Receive the helmet of salvation. You'll notice down here uh, in verse 16, where he says, Taking, well, it's a little bit different word than take up in verse 17. In verse 16, it's to take up. In other words, it's and remember, it's middle voice, so it's the Christian's responsibility. So he's to go get the shield of faith, take it up, and put it into use. But the helmet was something to be received and taken in that sense. And so once the soldier had all of these things on, that he had truth, that he had a walk in righteousness, a life characterized by righteousness, when he had his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, so that he could stand on firm ground. And when he had the shield of faith taken up and his helmet of salvation on and his sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, in his hand, in his heart, in his mouth, he was fit for battle. He just had one other thing left. And we won't have time to get to it today. But we're going to mention it. And that's prayer. There must be communication with your commander. When a battle line was set up by a Roman army, and the generals and the the lower echelons of officers were setting the battle lines up, the soldiers just didn't go wherever they felt like going. There was constant communication. And they went wherever the officers told them to go and how to set the battle lines up. It was interesting, again, in this book about Stonewall Jackson, just reading about how they uh set their battle lines up and how one would try to tactically outdo the other one and gain a certain position on certain higher ground, you know, or uh against a natural barrier that would protect them and all kinds of things. But you know what? While they were doing that, the commanding officers... And this, of course, is what Stonewall Jackson was known for, was on his horse. And he was riding back and forth behind the battle line, back and forth, observing the whole scene, keeping an eye on all of his soldiers, giving orders. And when he sees this movement over here and telling them to go over there and so on. And that's what this prayer is all about. But we're going to dig into that a little more next week, Lord willing. The battle's real. The warfare is very real. It's in the heavens. It's spiritual. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's a battle nonetheless. And the outcome is absolutely essential. To gaining a future position with Christ in his kingdom, to enjoy the benefits and blessings of the fullness of salvation that he has provided for us. Yes, he seated us there already in the heavens with him. We saw that in chapter 2. So, doctrinally, he says, we're there. The position is ours. Peter said, That there's an inheritance awaiting us in heaven. It's already there. It's an unfading inheritance. Awaiting. But we must walk, as Jesus said, a narrow path on our way as we await that coming kingdom. And as we walk that narrow path, there's also a battle to be fought. And we need to be careful that we really are truly in the battle, that we are indeed truly fighting for what is ours. Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you once again and to be encouraged in our own hearts that you have fought the battle for us, that you've made the way, that you have blazed the trail for us as the captain of our faith. And I pray, Father, that We might be true and loyal soldiers of Christ, that we would recognize when the enemy's about us, that we would take advantage of the armor that you've blessed us with and use it to overcome the enemy. Grant these things to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.